Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. Hello. It's us again. Do you know what we it's realized? Us. We realized that we don't usually introduce ourselves and that maybe we should. That's what we realized. Perhaps it's a good idea. <laughs> so I'm Chloe. And I'm Maura. This is Historically Badass Broads. And yes. also, if you're new, the concept of the show is that <laughs> Maura knows a lot about history and I daydreamed through most of my history classes. So Maura finds a lovely badass in history does a bunch of research, comes on here, tells me all about her. I learn, you learn, I ask questions, you get answers. We have fun. That's Yay. that's the show. That's it. In a beautiful nutshell. <laughs> Unless you're allergic <laughs> to nuts, in which case, I'm sorry. Yeah, I take it back. <laughs> yeah, we gotta be careful on this podcast. Sorry, guys. Now that we have so many listeners. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Um... Who's our lady? I'm curious. Well, this month, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I like the exploration of unknown women. Sure. And I have not heard of mm -hmm. exciting people. Yeah. I like learning new things because I'm an autodidact and insane. Uh -huh. um, but this month, one of my favorite hobbies is embroidery. Ooh. I like to sit. I, I'm a big fan of sitting. Fun fact uh, alert. I like being indoors okay and so those two things lend themselves very well to two of my favorite hobbies reading okay and embroidering sure and I took up embroidery because I wanted to know it was in college and I wanted to understand what it was like to do that because so many of the women I had read about in school would spend their days doing that and huh. embroidery is actually can raise a bride price and it can be an extremely valuable asset for a woman to have so Ooh. I was very excited to learn it so you wanted and to so, raise your bride price is what I'm hearing. Um, mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Good to know. That's why. Good to know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyone who knows me knows my thoughts on the institution of marriage. Um, anyway, so, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I wanted to know what it was like. And then of course became quickly obsessed with it and bought many hoops and threads and needles. And I love it. And so I was, I was actually doing just some fun research on some new patterns I was trying to embroider. And I, I kept coming up with uh, Our Lady of the Month. And she is an incredibly fraught person in history, very controversial. Mm -hmm. And yet um, some of her most, um, I think, intimate artifacts left are the embroidered works that she left. And I think that's actually it, it's so... It's so incredible that we have something that someone like that designed and made um, because it is so personal and time consuming. So this month, we're going to talk about Mary, Queen of Scots. Ooh. Mm-hmm. She seems like a, a controversial one. 
That is a perfect word to describe her. Yes. Love that for her. Love that for her. She's, she's a wild one. Was she, Um, was she known for her embroidery? She was. I did not know this. There are a couple hangings, um, that we have left, um, that she and one of her spoiler alert captors made with her. Um, that's a hardwick. Who's another historically badass broad that we will have to talk about. Cause I am obsessed with her. Cute. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so we actually have some of the work that she's done and I've seen it in museums. And I just remember, I, I never had that much connection with Mary queen of Scots. I always enjoyed her. I thought she was really interesting and we'll obviously we'll go into her life and why I think, you know, she was really interesting. And from a young age, I thought she was, mm-hmm. um, but it wasn't until I saw one of her pieces in a museum that it really struck me. Um, I don't know. And I guess I get really emotional about it because it, she made it, you know, there's mm-hmm. something so truly intimate about, I know that her hands touched it. I know that she held it. I know that she designed mm-hmm. it. Absolutely. And it's, it's a connection that is so, um, so rare and really special and and it really always stuck with me um and and yeah so that's kind of behind uh why I wanted to talk about Mary and also she's crazy like in a good way her life is insane her life is nuts let's start with her life yeah let's talk about it I'm excited uh I'm excited um also because I get to then spend the rest of the day after this embroidering. So I'm pumped, guys. Um, um, I would like to personally request a Historically Badass Broads embroidery, please. <gasps> mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. If you are thinking to idea. yourself, I don't know what to embroider, there's an idea. I wasn't, but now I am. I'm just trying to manifest that for myself. No, I, I, you know what, Chloe, I'll make you one. No worries. I'll make you something. I'll make you something special. (laughs) You'll get it in two years. Um, Okay. I'll put that in my calendar. Just takes so fucking long. Okay. Um, Yeah. Two years from today. Great. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to put ourselves, let's go back. We're going to go back to the 16th century. Great. Mm, We're loving it. We're feeling it. It's a, the 8th of December, 1542. Mm-hmm. We're in Scotland. 16th century. Mm-hmm. We're in Linlithgow Palace. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. It's fine. Okay. And James V of Scotland and his wife, Mary of Guise, very French. Um, they're having a babe. And she's actually born. And there's a lot of accounts that are like, mm, we don't know if she's that strong. And then everyone's like, no, she's fine. And it's because her dad had a lot of illegitimate children. Hmm. Like a lot, and she was the only legitimate child, so no one wanted her to succeed. Also, she's a lady. That's great, isn't it? Yeah, it's isn't it's it? just really nice to have that type of support. Exactly. I mean, that's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mary is born into a really interesting family. So she's the great niece of Henry the Eighth. Mm-hmm. So her, so James the Fifth's mommy was Henry the Eighth's sister. Mm-hmm. So Margaret Tudor is one of Henry VIII's siblings, and she was married to the King of Scotland, and they had James V. Right. James V just had Mary. 
Mary of Guise is, of course, related to the uh, French royal family. Of course. And, yeah, yeah, And um, so, you know, baby's born. Baby didn't die right away. Mother didn't die right away. And they're like, all around, we'll call it a success. <laughs> and then six days later, her dad dies. Oof. Um, and she becomes the Queen of Scotland. Yikes. When she's six days old. Take it in. No, I mean, she had six days of training, I'm sure. Six days, yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, That's like, they're enough. like, mm, is she strong enough? The infant? And the newborn infant? Yeah. The new infant. Yeah, because rumors were, they're like, mm, she might be weak and dying. And they're like, no, she's fine. It's hard <laughs> to tell. Fine. It's hard to tell. I know. She is, after all, a literal baby. Um, so of course. <laughs> there's a lot of like apocryphal rumors that James, upon it, it, on his deathbed after hearing that his wife had a baby, said it came with a lass and it'll gang with a lass, meaning it'll go with a lass. And that's from John Knox, who's a piece of shit um, Protestant chronicler that I don't particularly enjoy. Mm-hmm. And... Um, <laughs> It's simply because the house of Stuart, which is the house, the Scottish house that her family belonged to, they came into power through a woman. The marriage of Marjorie Bruce, who's the daughter of Robert the Bruce, to Walter Stuart. Mm-hmm. And um, so, but that's not actually true. And again, she was totally fine. She was six days old. So regents were involved to bring her up. And um, immediately, Henry VIII is like, I got a little boy. I have a son. They should get married. Which, if we are honest and frank, not a bad idea. How old is the little boy? Do we know? He was born in 1537. And she was born in 1542. That would mean he was five, right? Okay. Right? Yeah. That's right? That's math? Yeah, sure. The Treaty of Greenwich is signed when Mary's six months old, saying... When she's 10, she's going to marry Edward and move to England. And Henry would raise her in the court to become an English princess. That was actually a common um, thing for young children. We, I think we talked about it before with actually our first badass lady, Matilda, mm-hmm. when she was like eight, when she was married um, to the Holy Roman Emperor. But they didn't consummate their marriage until she was probably at least probably 15. Um, and But she was raised in that court. To become part of that court. It's actually, I think, a fairly reasonable policy considering it. Um, And so the treaty was like, these two countries are going to be separated. And if the couple doesn't have any kids, you know what? Who cares? No United Kingdom. Um, But, you know, that's part of that particular treaty. But then, like, there are so many weird politics happening in Scotland with so many men that I don't really care about. Mm And basically what they're doing, and you'll see this as a theme throughout Mary's life, she's just used as a pawn constantly. It's constantly what she represents and how people can best use her to serve their needs. And that's exactly what's happening when she's a baby. They're moving her around Scotland. They're, um, you know, different regions are trying to become powerful. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of issues happening because also the history of Scottish English relations are very um how do i put this delicately fraught and filled with anger and resentment so (laughs) you know because there's so much inconsistency politically um 
the marriage alliance doesn't really take place and the treaty's rejected and it seems like actually France and Scotland are becoming closer. And of course that has to do with um, Mary's being, Mary being half French um, and Scotland and France have always had a very close relationship. Um, and so this caused a period known as the rough wooing. Ooh, I like that. Mm-hmm. Which was initiated by Henry to force the marriage to happen a military campaign um yikes and a lot of people were murdered in a lot of battles that if you're just tuning in for the first time i don't particularly care that much about military history so i'm just going to give you the conclusion um a lot of people died they sent her around the country and then they asked the french for help and king henry ii of france was like you know what i also have a son (laughs) These sons, they're just coming out of the woodwork, left and right. They are, they're all over the place. I know, everyone's like going on about, oh, we're not sure if they had any, you know, oh no. Right, right, right. Ensuring the succession, where are the sons? Well, apparently they're in the 16th century, man. Wow. Um, Time really flies, doesn't it? (laughs) Famously, Henry VIII did a lot to get a son. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They basically, one of the regents agreed to the marriage between the Dauphin, his name is Francis, and little baby Mary. And it it actually goes through. So when Mary's five, she's sent to France, and she spends the next 13 years being raised in the French court. So she's there. She's raised along with two of her own illegitimate half-brothers, four other girls her own age. They were all named Mary, which I think is just the funniest thing ever. That has to be confusing. I couldn't imagine it would be, although I imagine their, their different statuses would make it easy because one's a Her Majesty Queen. Right. Regnant. They're not necessarily running around calling each other Mary. But, and yet I want them to have been doing that. Oh, absolutely. Like, hey, Mary. And then like seven girls turn around like, yes. Exactly. That's all I want. Yeah, me too. Let's make that happen. (laughs) Um, So Mary's growing up. In the court of Henry II and Catherine de' Medici, another historically badass broad that I am sure we will discuss. <laughs> spoiler um, alert. <laughs> spoiler alert. She's ridiculous. Anyone read anything about her. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mary became extremely um, accomplished in the way that you would assume a historical woman would be accomplished. She plays instruments. She writes poetry. She writes in general. She loves to ride horses. She's hmm. a good falconry person. She embroiders. She speaks like... I don't know, Latin and Spanish and ancient Greek, apparently. Cool. Uh, she speaks Italian. She speaks French. Um, and she does speak her native Scots tongue. Hmm. Although it's not that excellent. She doesn't really speak English that well, but that's okay because no one really cared about the English that well, that much, really. <laughs> about, like, speaking the language. Yeah, because yeah. even the main in- language of the English court was French. So it's fine. <laughs> Love that. She was said to be absolutely beautiful. Of course. She had auburn hair and hazel eyes and smooth skin. And she was said to be very, very, very beautiful. Um, Do people in history ever talk about men in history like that? Sometimes, yes. It seems like 
almost every woman we've discussed, there's been some type of remark about her physical appearance being womanly, beautiful. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Is it yes. ever like, you know, <laughs> the man with the raven hair and the soft skin of a and the thousand giant sheep calves. or something, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you sometimes. Do. <laughs> sometimes. All right. The I'll take biggest it. calves. I'll take it. That he displays for you. Yeah, I'll um, take it. So, yes, there is. It, there was so much of a sense, of, and I might be wrong, but you get the sense that attractiveness is godliness, and these people are literally said to be God's representatives on earth. So, I mean, that, that mindset has pretty much endured, I would argue. Indeed. So, you know, I think there is something to be said for that, 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 that there's this um, emphasis on physical beauty. Mm-hmm. And that has not changed. And of course, valuation of women is is uh, usually relegated to her physical appearance. So, yeah, I'm, we're used and, to that. That makes sense to me. We, and I was going to say, and not much has changed. No, nothing. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so she's beautiful. Uh, you know, I think what's in she's beautiful, and she's actually really tall. She's five eleven. <gasps> so am I. I know Aww. you two are giants. <laughs> I do have to look up at Chloe when I talk to her. Do you know what? If she's anything like me, she doesn't feel tall at all. She feels normal and everyone else is short. <laughs> I that might that might have been the case. That might have been the that case. That is how it typically goes when you look through the world through your own eyes. <laughs> I appreciate that. Whereas I'm I think I'm like a small dog who's like, I'm big enough. And then uh, I try to reach for something in a cabinet and I realize I have to climb on things to get there. But that's I'm, so endearing approximately the size of a small child yeah like the 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 large dogs who are like they think they're puppies and they just like jump all over yeah, people and, and you're like oh yeah <laughs> i'm here for the puppy analogies her, her fiance francis is like unusually short oh, so she's unusually tall and he's really really short and he has a stutter and but they actually seem to have gotten along really well they seem to have genuine affection for each other which i think is lovely i already like him from the description i know he seems really sweet um, <laughs> we, we know nothing about this man we've never met this man and for some reason <laughs> he has a stutter and he's short and we're like ah sweet <laughs> well, <that's>, kid <laughs> i think it's just because it's like he wasn't attacking anyone yeah okay. yeah 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 that's that's always a, a plus in our book and they seem to genuinely have gotten along. And I think that's so lovely that they were like raised together and no one was made to feel horrible. And everyone's just like, this is going to be lovely. And it should have been by all accounts. This should have been what her life looked like. Uh -oh. It should have been a lovely life. Uh-oh. Foreshadowing. Sounds like it a It should have been a happy, a happy existence. Mm -hmm. um, there really shouldn't have been anything to disrupt it. She's, you know, been brought up in this beautiful court full of the renaissance and you know extraordinary culture and 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 then also you know in 1558 mary the first of england becomes queen mm -hmm. we've talked about her 1558 she dies and elizabeth becomes queen and it was only by virtue of a last minute change to the laws of England that Elizabeth was recognized as heir because through the, you have to remember this is at the time of the various reformations going on in the world. So the Catholics are saying, uh, uh, Elizabeth is not 
can't be queen. She's illegitimate. Her father unlawfully divorced his first wife, who was still living, and then in a bigamous action, married an already pregnant Anne Boleyn. Mm. No way, Jose, Mm -hmm. right? Elizabeth's illegitimate. So who's next in line? Do you know who's next in line? Drum roll. Mary, Queen of Scots. Boom. She's the most senior surviving legitimate descendant of Henry VII through Margaret Tudor, who's her grandmother. So immediately upon Elizabeth's ascension, Henry II's like, "Uh uh-uh, my son and daughter-in-law are the king and queen of France, Mm -hmm. of England, excuse me. Mm -hmm. And then they start, like, their um, heraldry changes to like reflect the english throne as well as the french it's really and the scottish it's i think really entertaining what, um, what do you mean so they have their arms coat of arms um and the symbolism in these coats of arms are actually really important because they you know for a long time during like the hundred years war the various kings of france would claim to be the kings of england and the various kings of england would be claimed to be the kings of france and so they would be using each other's symbols to reflect their supposed claims to the throne and you're seeing this repeated huh. um through the adoption of the english arms added um and so she's technically queen of scotland and france and england they're asserting that because elizabeth's illegitimate Yikes. She was born, she's a bastard. She was born a bastard mm-hmm. um, through an illegitimate marriage. And the only reason why no one did this when her younger brother, Edward, became king is because Catherine of Aragon, the first wife, had died by the time he was born. So his, and by the time his parents were married, Jean Seymour and Henry VIII. So their union was seen as legitimate because Henry's first wife had died. Whereas that was not the case with Anne Boleyn. This is complicated. Extremely. And I'm trying to make it less complicated. And I don't think I'm succeeding. <laughs> Any questions thus far about that? <laughs> I'm just along for the ride. Okay. Let me know if I start being like referring to the 15 people named Catherine and Mary and Henry. Um, I think I'm good so far. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to take you to July 10th of 1559. And Henry II is an idiot and decides to be a, go through a joust. And then uh, he dies. Ugh. You hate to so see Francis that. So Francis is 15. We hate it, and yet it happens so much. Mary's 16. Francis, her husband, is 15. Mm. They only got married like the year before. Mm-hmm. And she'd been raised there since she was five. And they become king and queen of France. And um, basically there's a bunch of annoying religious things. Protestant people want to become, make everyone Protestant. Catholics want to kill all the Protestants. The Protestants want to kill all the Catholics. What's new, what's new. Um, And all the while Mary's mom is like, is kind of heading the Regency in Scotland. But in June of 1560, so a year later, her mom died. And so they couldn't quite figure out what was supposed to be happening um, in Scotland. And then, like just about a month later, the Treaty of Edinburgh was signed and France and England took their troops out of Scotland. France recognized Elizabeth's right to rule in England. Um, and this was signed by Mary's representatives, but she technically refused to ratify the treaty. She saw it as illegitimate. Hmm. So the treaty actually brought some peace, but um, 
you know, it, it I'm just going to say it doesn't last. Um, and then we go to December of 1560 and, uh, a middle ear infection leads to an abscess in the brain of the young King Francis II and he dies. Oh my goodness. So Mary's a widow. That is quite the way to die. Isn't it? Sounds deeply painful. Yeah, it sounds really bad. Just horrendous. Yeah. In fact. Yikes. Okay. She's and a widow. Ugh. She's a widow, 1560, and she was born in what, like 42? Mm-hmm. 18. Mm-hmm. And Catherine de Medici's the regent for the now 10-year-old king, Charles the Ninth, who's the younger brother of Francis. And Mary's just kind of like, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, Scotland isn't, I don't know Scotland, mm -hmm. um, but I guess I'm queen there, and I'm now a dowager queen of France. Uh, okay, I guess I'll go back. So, like, nine months later, she goes back to Scotland. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, she's extremely Catholic. What she missed was that the Protestant Reformation had taken over in um, Scotland. Mm -hmm. And her illegitimate half-brother, the Earl of Moray, we hate him, uh, was a leader of this Protestant faction. But when Mary comes back, she's actually very tolerant toward it. I think she was actually a fairly astute politician in that way. Mm -hmm. um, she seemed to be very like, I'm not going to rock this boat. I've seen the massacres that can happen. I'm just going to kind of say like, you know what? I see where the power can go back and forth. And I'm not going to say I love it, but I'm not going to say let's murder all the uh, the Protestants. Right. And I think that's because her literal Privy Council was separated by mostly, it was mostly Protestants and some Catholics. Uh-huh. You know, people are wanting to lead rebellions against her. Boring, boring, boring. She and her brother, Earl of Moray, join forces together and they become actually very powerful together. And, um immediately someone's like you need to have a new husband like who are you to rule without one and this conversation's happening to elizabeth and if we remember what happened to mary the first of england is you know she was forced into marrying and then everyone's like why would you do that we hate him and she's like what am i supposed to do and then elizabeth saw that and was like i'm not doing that but mary never saw it as a negotiable thing she was married she doesn't have a child right. she needs to have a child she needs to have a husband and I'm assuming so it wasn't presented to her as an option. No, it was never presented to anyone as an option, but I don't think Mary was ever raised to be. Mary's upbringing was decidedly less complex than Elizabeth's. Right. And that she wasn't constantly fearing she was going to be assassinated. Sure. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think it wasn't like she, and you have to remember the idea of a woman not choosing to be married is completely foreign. Totally. Like, that's not even, it's it's not even in their vocabulary. Yeah, no, it makes sense. So Mary's like, I'm, I'm fine with the idea of marrying the mentally unstable Don Carlos, who's the heir to the Philip II, another douchebag, mm -hmm. um, Mary I's horrible husband. And everyone's like, please don't do that. Because A, he's not well in the head. B... If you do that, that's telling England that you're allying yourself with a deeply Catholic country, not to mention you're also still French. So it's kind of almost like uniting herself 
against the English because Mary does continue to assert that she is the rightful queen of England. Right. It's like the nail in the Catholic coffin. Indeed. Beautifully put. Thank you. (laughs) Elizabeth is like, no, no, no. You should marry my favorite, Robert Dudley, the Earl of Leicester. And Mary's like, not marrying a commoner. Fuck you. Oh. And then. Interesting. Well, he is technically a cop. She's literal royalty. They, they, they had different. Apparently, they had literal different blood. Well, also, I mean, at the time, marriage is a political move. Extremely political. Mm-hmm. It seems like if they like each other, that's a bonus. Mm-hmm. And also, Elizabeth was basically hinting that if Mary married Dudley, she would acknowledge Mary as her heir. Mm-hmm. But then Dudley's like, I don't want to marry Mary. So like nothing ended up happening with that. Another theme you'll find throughout Mary's life is that a lot of men became obsessed with her and did horrible things to her or tried to. One of them was a poet who was like hiding under her bed. Sorry, what? All the time. Yeah, he would like just like stalk her. And then he wanted to surprise her when they were alone and declare his love and of course if that had happened and someone caught mary in a compromising position with him that only reflects poorly on her not his unhealthy obsession of course so she was really scared and she was like please someone take care and her brother the earl of moray was like the fuck and then got him and then the guy was um beheaded for treason well (sighs) I can't say I'm pro-beheading, but that dude seemed really creepy. Mm -hmm. He was. I don't know. It just doesn't seem normal to do that. It wasn't. And to make her feel unsafe. I obviously feel strongly about that, but that's so upsetting. (laughs) You'll find a a similar thing kind of repeats and unfortunately no one's there to save her. Because of her Um, auburn hair and hazel eyes and five foot eleven stature. Oh, come on. And a high forehead. Ugh, so annoying. It always makes me think they look like they're balding. I love that for them. I know. Um, They wore wigs anyway, so yeah. Right. So then she meets her English half-cousin, Henry Stewart, Lord Darnley. Mm -hmm. While she's still in mourning for her first husband, he's also a descendant of Margaret Tudor, the sister of Henry VIII. Mm -hmm. And... So it's a dangerous match. His mom, the Countess of Lennox, was like, yo, you need to marry Mary because that'll unite two very the two strongest claims for the English throne. And then you guys can become the rightful rulers of England. Mm-hmm. And they're also Catholic. Um, and then Elizabeth caught wind of this and was like, hold up. That's the worst decision. Also, technically, Lord Darnley is my subject and he must uh, get my approval to marry mm-hmm. anyone. And then um, they meet, they fall instantly in lust. I think partly because he was over six feet. So she was finally like, thank God. <laughs> and and they get married. Interesting. So slightly more for affection than politics this time. Correct? Mm, or she's still know, she Because was... it's actually quite political. But they both, they were both said to be very in lust with each other and it, ha- it it was a very you know interesting relationship we'll get into that in a minute but yeah so it was but it was also no one could deny that it was politically 
a powerful match and it was actually quite dangerous when Elizabeth caught wind of it. She was, I mean, unbelievably upset. Right. So yeah, their children would be even have an even stronger claim to the throne. So it's, you know, it's, it's deeply, um, I think it was actually a very emotional match for her, but you know, no one could deny the political implications of it. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, he's also Catholic and her brother, the Earl of Moray, her half brother is very Protestant. And he's like, are you kidding? So they lead an open rebellion and Mary's just like, Oh my God, I was just trying to get married and be happy. The brother leads a rebellion um, against her. Yeah. He does this a lot. Well, that's not cool. No, he's, very much interested in his own power, though. Let's let's be honest about this. Yeah. Okay. Um, it happens. So, yeah. So he doesn't really succeed. Mary kind of is able to kind of put down that rebellion, um, and the Earl of Moray seeks asylum in England, and then very quickly her new marriage turns so south. Um, Darnley's an impetuous, spoiled little brat. He demands that he becomes co-sovereign of Scotland. And if he outlives his wife, he should be ruling in his own name. Mary's like, no, I'm queen. And though they had a lot of fights, they end up having, they end up, she ends up becoming pregnant um, by October of 1565. So they got married in July of 1565. Mm -hmm. And Mary's pregnant. And she has this private secretary named David Rizzio. Rizzio? I I think he's Italian. Mm -hmm. And Darnley's like, I don't like how much time they spend together. And Mary's like, he is my private secretary. And Darnley's like, still don't like it. And Darnley starts becoming embroiled with Protestant conspiracies. And they make Darnley completely convinced that Rizzio is the father of his child. Oh, so, no. oh, get ready! In the night on the 9th of March in 1566, a group of conspirators, led by Darnley, go to I believe it's are we in yeah Holyrood Palace, and someone there are different accounts of this, but most likely what happened is. Mary was restrained as they stabbed Rizzio 56 times in front of her. She's seven months pregnant. Some accounts say that someone put a gun to her, a pistol to her, her pregnant belly. Um, I wouldn't put it past them. Oh my gosh. She is obviously, and he's led like bleeding. He dragged out of the room. Mary's like losing her mind. She's literally seven months pregnant. Right. And I mean, it is, I, I just cannot imagine the stress <laughs> or uh, distress that could have caused someone. So her, he's murdered. And then two days later, Darnley's like, mm, I don't like these guys anymore. I thought they were my friends. And Mary's like, you know what? Fine, come back. So she brings him back because she knows he's more danger to her outside of her control. Right. And helps him kind of escape. And then they seek refuge and the rebels are, you know, the Lord Earl of Moray um, is restored to the council. And then, you know. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's just a lot of, again, this is so politically unstable. And then on the 19th of June in 1566, her son James is born um, at the Edinburgh Castle. But their marriage is completely beyond repair. Obviously. Yeah, I would imagine. Um, Yeah. And so Mary gets really, really sick, but she ends up probably, she ends up recovering. They think it could have been like a hemorrhage of something horrible or something else. Mm -hmm. And then they're... Darnley becomes more and more of an issue. So she and her nobles are like, we got to talk about him. Maybe we should get divorced. I'm, I'm nervous. I don't want to do this. Um, but you know, this is an unacceptable marriage and we really shouldn't do this anymore. Darnley is becoming more and more paranoid, Mm -hmm. um, probably with, uh, syphilis. So January, 1567, he was kind of sick. He's recovering. Mary's like, you should come to visit me. And it seems like they're kind of getting what better, like they're going to have a better relationship. Um, but early February, 1567, Mary goes out to go to a wedding and an explosion occurs at the castle, the place where they're staying. Mm-hmm. Darnley was found in the garden, however, most likely strangled, I think. Um, Wait, and- murdered? Uh-huh. Oh. And the general belief is that I think it's the Earl of Bothwell, the Earl of Moray, the secretary, Maitland, who's, you know, in charge of the Earl of Morton, all these people, and including Mary, are under suspicion of having ordered it done. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that does make sense. It does, but also, I don't know. I have thoughts. Would you like to share those thoughts? (laughs) I have thoughts. My thoughts, it's difficult because I don't believe Mary would have ordered him murdered. And if she did, she wouldn't have, she wouldn't have gotten rid of one of her castles. She would have had someone poison him. That would have been easier. Yeah. Less of a mess. Yeah. And also the fact that it didn't quite go to plan. The fact that his body was found in like a weird way that everyone's like, no, the explosion was meant to distract, you know? Mm -hmm. Mary always denies that she had nothing to do with it. I don't, again, I don't believe she had anything to do with it, but I don't think she was displeased by the results of it. No. And it does make sense that they would at least wonder if she had, you know, it does make Mm -hmm. sense that she would be implicated in some way. Absolutely. Yes. So Queen Elizabeth writes to Mary, he's like, um, 
So people are saying you did this. Mm-hmm. I I don't know if I am, but I, I want you to know that I'm not thinking that you did. But um, <laughs> I just wanted to write to let you know that people are saying this about you. <laughs> and Bothwell, ew, was the one who was meant to be like the main guy who led the assassination charge. And people want to try him for murder but then Bothwell is like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good. And he's actually acquitted in a trial. And then he's like, you know what we should do, though? I should marry the queen now. That's what I should do. Does that happen? That line of thought is um, confusing to me. Does it happen? So... Mary's visiting her son at Sterling Castle. Okay. It's April 1567. She goes, she's going back to Edinburgh um, and she's abducted and taken by Lord Bothwell to Dunbar Castle, where he most likely raped her, which left her no choice but to marry him. That makes me feel like he did kill the other guy. Right? Someone who would do something like that. Like, you've already got that evil gene mm-hmm. and people say that mary may have been willingly abducted that's not how that works no i think those are contradictory words that don't work together but that's also just I mean, my I'm, opinion you know i'm here with you and i agree with you thank you for i think the issue me. is yes <laughs> people want to assert that mary planned on marrying bothwell that this was somehow part of a larger plan and you know what? I can never know if that was true or not. Okay. We can never know. No. But she does speak of being held against her will. She speaks of being abducted. And um, to me, that generally means she wasn't into it that much. I also have to wonder if she was into it, why they couldn't have just gotten married. Just without the whole abduction a, thing, you know? If she was into what a it. Valid, valid point. Yeah. And this is why when women talk about history, <laughs> more important points come out. <laughs> Just gonna put that out there. So Bothwell had been married to a woman named Jean, and he had divorced her on purpose. Oh no, they had been divorced because Jean was like, You're the worst person in the world. You need to stop cheating on me. And I declare like abandonment. And they were granted a divorce. Mm-hmm. And Mary and Bothwell get married according to the Protestant ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um, like May of 1567. And actually it seems like originally she thought that, well, this is horrible, but it seems like people actually are in support of this marriage. So maybe that's okay. But then it seems as though that changes because a lot of the lords seem to go, wait, you are marrying the guy who's accused of killing your husband? Mm-hmm. Um, good. Mm-hmm. Mary was deeply depressed and the political, you know, intrigues and it's all very concerning. Mary's trying to fight. The, the, the lords turn against her in Bothwell. Mary's most likely pregnant. Um, the crowds are calling her an adulteress, a murderer, a whore. She is imprisoned in the middle of a loch. 
She miscarried twins. And then on the 24th of July, she was forced to abdicate in favor of her one-year-old son, James. The Earl of Moray was made regent. Bothwell was driven into exile. And Mary's imprisoned. Yikes. And she's there um, until she's able to escape. So 1568, Mary's able to escape. She raises a small army, but they don't really do anything against the Earl of Moray. Mm -hmm. Again, her Mm half-brother. She flees to the south, and she gets into England by a fishing boat. And she immediately has been writing to Elizabeth pleading asylum. Right. Queen Elizabeth. She is taken into protective custody at Carlisle Castle. And Mary, because of course, just expected Elizabeth to help her Mm -hmm. regain her throne. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth, however, decides that she's going to order an inquiry into whether or not Mary was guilty of Darnley's murder. Goodness. Now, let me just explain something really quick. Mm -hmm. Mary is not an English citizen. Mary is a sovereign regnant anointed queen of scotland and a dowager queen of france Mm -hmm. she has no citizenship in england therefore she cannot be tried under any laws or the jurisdiction of the laws of england and yet elizabeth persists in doing this why mary's got a really good looking claim to the throne and elizabeth is mad that she did all those things that she told her not to do that was petty. Get ready. <laughs> no. <laughs> Elizabeth's like, I'm so going to help you. Mary's like, excellent. And Elizabeth's also writing to the other lords going like, mm, I don't know, man. And Cecil, who's like one of her main advisors, is like literally writes to her multiple times. You will never feel secure and safe as long as Mary is alive. Oh, there's a lot of snakiness going around here isn't there so mary's moved to bolton castle Mm -hmm. and her clothes are sent from a castle in scotland and her supporters are trying to um you know fight a civil war against the regent Mm -hmm. who's her half-brother the earl of moray Mm -hmm. i'm probably saying it wrong again i apologize to the scots out there um and all the while, there's this court that's like, we're going to um, try this case against you. And Mary's like, you have no authority to do that. I, I'm sorry, you're not, I, you, you're not, like, I'm a queen. Like, who are you? Mm-hmm. You know, God is above me and no one else. No court of law can tell me what to do, especially when outside of my own country. I, you know, she cannot be tried under this jurisdiction. And they're just like, uh-huh, uh-huh, so we're going to do this. And then they produce these things called the casket letters. Now, this is where I will be debated by people. The casket letters are these letters supposedly, being the operative word, from Mary to Bothwell, including her third husband, including like love sonnets and letters. And they're said to be found in a casket that's decorated with the monogram of her first husband, Francis, Mm -hmm. and that... um, She's basically telling Bothwell she wants him to murder Darnley and they're going to be in love together and get married, blah, blah, blah. And oh, wait, she's also supposed to be the Queen of England and we should um, do that together. And everyone agrees 
like the chair of the commission literally is like, these are the worst letters I've ever read. They're horrible. <laughs> but if they're genuine, they would prove Mary's guilt right. for Darnley's murder, which again, it would be like, how do I explain? It would be like if someone murdered someone. Okay. It'd be like if OJ Simpson was tried in England for the murder of his wife. Yeah. It'd just be weird. It doesn't make, there's no jurisdiction. They cannot do, that's literally what this is. Right. So everyone, most people, most people say they're forgeries. And Mary's like, I didn't write those letters. They're not mine. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people are saying, I don't know. Some people are saying that the letters were complete forgeries. Some are saying incriminating passages were added. Some were saying that they were just written by a different person, but that they're technically legitimate. Some were saying that Mary was writing them to a different person. And the letters are written in a style that's somewhat different than, you know, in the style that Mary would have normally written in. And that some historian, historian, John Guy or Gee points out that the letters, the, the grammar is too poor for someone with Mary's education. It's just like not the same, but some of it, you know, appear to be accurate. And so the Privy Council in Scotland had seen them by December of 1567. Mary was already at, you know, had been forced to abdicate. And um, it, it seems as though there's this long period of time between when they were brought about. So like 1568, the Privy Council sees them in 1567. Mm-hmm. And then the Scots don't want to produce the letters and then the letters are destroyed in 1584. So some people say it's because it took them that long to make the letters because they were fake. Some are saying that's because they were trying to find a way to destroy real evidence. Either way, the commissioners who are trying this unjust trial against Mary say, "Uh uh-uh, they're genuine. And Elizabeth is like, I guess nothing was proven. So she doesn't convict or acquit Mary. There is literally nothing happening. They didn't, I don't think ever intended for anything to happen judicially. It was entirely this like fake thing. And so the Earl of Moray returns to Scotland. He's regent and Mary just remains in custody in England. She's not convicted, but she remains in custody. Correct. Great. So Mary's moved to Tutbury Castle. She's placed in the custody of the Earl of Shrewsbury and Bess of Hardwick. Love. And Elizabeth is constantly hearing that Mary is plotting. And you know what? I won't lie to you. I think Mary was plotting. But I think most of Mary's plotting was like, get me out of here. I should not be incarcerated right now. Although I will say, she often had a staff of over 50 people. Mm -hmm. She had a generous living. She had her own chefs. You know, she, she lived befitting someone of her stature. But she was still... Um, she was she was still imprisoned she still had people watching her and reading her letters and you know I think it's just really tricky because she's completely at the mercy of someone who she doesn't even believe should have any power over her mm-hmm. her cousin mm-hmm. Elizabeth and they're writing to each other all the time and it's such a bizarre relationship um Elizabeth attempts to actually restore Mary, but then they're like, ah, eh. and then Elizabeth just kind of gives it up. The Duke of Norfolk wants to marry Mary, 
after he initially didn't love Mary, then people are like, you know what you should do? You should marry Mary. And he's like, you know what? I guess that's okay. And then they start kind of, you know, wanting to do it. And they write all these letters to each other. And it seems like they're going to do it. And then Elizabeth finds out and is like, how dare you? No. And then he's imprisoned. And then in like 1571, the Earl of Moray is assassinated. Thank God. Mm -hmm. And um, then there's a rebellion that's led by Catholics, which then made Elizabeth think, oh, Mary's even more of a threat. Mary's being watched by Walsingham, Francis Walsingham, and Lord Burley, who's William Cecil. And they're watching her with spies that are placed in her household. And they are looking for anything to incriminate Mary, anything. And Mary's able to keep up a correspondence with, you know, various people that she knows in her life. And, and Catherine de Medici is her ex-mother-in-law. She writes to her all the time. She writes to people about wanting to see her son. She writes to, you know, things like that. And, and all the while she's writing to Elizabeth, like, hi, what, what's happening here? You mm-hmm. know? So 1571, Cecil and uncovered the Rodolfi plot, which is a plot by the Duke of Norfolk and the help of the Spaniards to replace Elizabeth with Mary. Norfolk is executed. English Parliament bars Mary from the throne, but Elizabeth's like, I guess I won't give assent to this. And then the casket letters from before were published. Mm-hmm. So then public support is completely against Mary, of course. The Pope is like, you should marry the brother of the something of Spain to invade England. And then everyone's like, no, nah, I guess that's okay. And then there's this, you know, it's just, there are all these plots and Mary is implicated. And this is where I say, at what point is Mary being used as a tool by powerful Catholic rulers Mm -hmm. to try and oust who they see as a Protestant usurper, Elizabeth? And I don't think we can dismiss that. I think it's true. I think there's something to be said for that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm not saying that Mary wouldn't have wanted to leave custody. Of course she would have. She doesn't believe she should, it's, it's unlawful to her. And technically it's unlawful at all. And, you know, so I just don't understand. I, I, I think her active plotting or her tacit involvement, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think after how many years at this point, she's, be, she's been held since, goodness, 1568. And it's now 15, you know, almost like 1580 something, 1570 something. Mm-hmm. She's 1570, 1580. She's been in prison now for so many years that I have no doubt she'd be like, you know what? Yeah, Elizabeth needs to go. But this isn't okay. Well, yeah. I mean, how has Elizabeth even been able to be in charge of such a powerful woman for such a long time? It's kind of ridiculous. Well, because I think at that point, it's. Mary was in between so many important. She was in the middle of so many important political factions, but it kind of left her in this vacuum. Right. Where no one actually wanted to upset anyone else by actually doing anything. Mm-hmm. So they, it was a lot of lip service. And there was a, another plot in 1583. And Walsingham introduces this act for the queen's safety. Which means anyone who plots against Elizabeth can be murdered. Ooh. That sounds helpful. Mm-hmm. So then in 1584, Mary's like, she proposes kind of a, a treaty, if you will. She said that she's wanting to be associated with her son. She will retire her 
goals to inherit the English throne. Mm -hmm. She offers to renounce the Pope's uh, excommunication of Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. And she wants to agree that she can leave captivity and that, you know, obviously her son will inherit all of her claims. And James, her son, at this point, he's older. And he's like, I'm kind of okay with this. And then he and Elizabeth have a meeting and they sign a treaty together that completely ignores Mary's existence. And Mary is utterly betrayed. She cannot believe her son did this. Mind you, she hasn't met her son since he was 10 months old. Mm. But, you know, she's like, you know, I, I cannot understand how this would happen. Um, he completely, you know, he makes this treaty and I'm just completely left out of it. No one cares. And I think James really did see his mother as a bit of a nuisance. Mm-hmm. You know, she she is, I think, constantly becoming embroiled in plots, whether or not they're instigated by her. Right. You know, and she she is the source of a lot of political issues. And I think, you know, it didn't help that she had some unpopular marriages. It didn't help that she was this, like, quasi-foreign Scottish queen, even though it was only because she was raised in a different country. I think, you know, there's just so much... She has such a complicated relationship. She's, she kind of belongs nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 1586, there's another plot, the Babington plot. And Mary's entirely implicated in this one. And she's arrested. And basically what happened was, in this case, they seek to fake and entrap Mary in a plot. And so that's exactly what happens. Mary thinks her letters are secure because they had a specific way to smuggle them. And some guy who she thought was on her side was doing it. Turns out, of course, he'd been flipped by the other side. Although he later says if he had known who he was actually working for, he wouldn't have done it. But these letters basically say they were all in cipher, actually. But those letters basically say that Mary wouldn't be mad if someone killed Elizabeth. Mm, mm -hmm. So Mary's put on trial for treason under the act for the queen's safety. But again, I will remind you, treason is uh, something about, you know, going against the laws of your own leader. Something against the laws of your own country. I will remind everyone, she is not a citizen of England. (laughs) And yet she's being tried for treason. (sighs) She says, and this is a very famous quote, Mary denies the charges. She says, look to your consciences and remember that the theater of the whole world is wider than the kingdom of England. Ooh. She was continuously denied any ability to look at the papers that were being used as her evidence. She was completely denied any access to any legal counsel. (sighs) And every time she tried to reach out and have her help, everyone just said, no, 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 no. And she keeps saying, I'm an anointed queen. Mm -hmm. I am not an English subject. You can't convict me of treason. I can't even be tried for treason. Mm -hmm. Only one of the like 40 commissioners express any form of dissent. She's sentenced to death. And then Elizabeth's like, "Mm, I don't know. I I don't want to kill her. I don't want to kill her. And she's like, I just, I don't know. I, I wanted her dead, but I don't want to kill her. And I wanted her tried for treason, but I, I don't want her convicted. I Oh, that's horrible. It's this like very confusing kind of cognitive dissonance. And I think 
one thing that I will say, you know, there's never been the murdering of an anointed monarch by another anointed monarch. Mm -hmm. That's never happened. And it would establish a extremely dangerous precedent that ends up, you know, kind of following through with the English civil war. And because of course, by whose authority does Elizabeth, is Elizabeth able to murder another queen? No one's. She's claiming sovereignty over Mary falsely. Mm -hmm. And yet everyone's just kind of turning away. Mary, I think, and this is to me the great tragedy of Mary, is that she's constantly being used. But the moment she needs help, they turn away from her. Right. And again, I'm not suggesting her innocence or her guilt, but I'm simply saying, you know, that would be pretty horrific um, as a person. And... So she's sentenced to death in October of 1586. Elizabeth asks Mary's final custodian if he could find a way to murder her clandestinely. And he's like, um, no, I am not into that. And she's like, damn it, because I don't want people to know I did it. Mm-hmm. I just want her to kind of die. Right. And then on the 1st of February, Elizabeth signs a death warrant. And she entrusts it to a privy counselor with the last name of Davison. His name's like William Davison or something. And then she's like, but don't. So there's two really funny accounts. I guess they're not that funny. So one of the accounts is that Elizabeth gives it to Davison. And then he immediately goes to the privy council and they decide to carry out the sentence immediately. Because why wouldn't they? It's been signed. Why would you delay it? Right. So that's one of the accounts. The other account that Elizabeth gives after the fact is, I gave him the thing, but I never meant for him to give it to anyone else. That doesn't make any sense. Nope. And she gets really mad at him. And she, like, finds Davison and imprisons him. And then later she, after, like, people forget that this happened, she, like, lets him go and pays back all the money and is like, you know what? I think I'll give you, like, an aristocratic position or something. (laughs) So... (laughs) The evening of seventh, the 7th of February, 1587, Mary's told that this is her last night on earth and she's going to die the next day. She writes letters. She is not allowed to draw up the will, but she writes an informal one. She writes a letter to the King of France, you know, saying my dearest brother, because it was technically her brother-in-law. She's like, I, you know, her letters are genuinely heartbreaking. And all the while in her captivity, she's been writing to Catherine de Medici. She's been writing to all of her people and she keep, just keeps hearing like, yes, it's terrible. What a position you're in. And then no one does anything to help her. Mm. It is said that she said that she is gleeful contemplating death because she has been imprisoned for over 18 years. Eesh. So they erect a scaffold in the great hall, not outside. Cause you know, Elizabeth specifically said, no, it should be done inside. So people can't see. But, of course, she didn't mean for it to happen. Um, Mary Mary uses her, one of her great assets to final effect. She is wearing some pretty spectacular clothes. She is wearing, you know, a beautiful black dress, sleeves to the floor, with 
purple velvet, which is the you know color of royalty. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in order to make it easier for them to chop her head off, the executioners ask her to remove her outer garments. And what happens is she's wearing a red velvet petticoat and a sl- and sleeves of crimson brown. And those are the colors of martyrdom in the Catholic church. Hmm. And so she's wearing symbols of royalty and she's wearing symbols of martyrdom, Catholic, Catholic martyrdom specifically, mm-hmm. which makes it clear and apparent to every single person in the room that she prepared, she's prepared to die as a Catholic martyr. It's a cool statement. She, yeah. The executioner asks the pardon of the one he's about to execute. That's traditional. Mary replies, I forgive you with all my heart for now. I hope you shall make an end of all my troubles. Mm. Mary is, as she had been taking off her clothing, she said she never had such grooms before, nor ever put off her clothes before such a company. So she's kind of making a joke about the fact that she's somewhat undressed in front of all these men. Mm -hmm. Her last words were into the hands O Lord, I commend my spirit. And the executioner missed her neck the first time and hit the back of her head. But then he hit again and severed her neck. A little bit was left. He had to cut through with an axe. So gruesome. And it's pretty bad. And then, as is traditional, he holds up the head by the hair and says, God save the queen. But at that moment, the head fell to the ground because he was holding her red hair in his hand turned out to be a wig and she actually had really short gray hair at that point Ooh, um, interesting yeah so the head fell like to the ground and then immediately any items worn by her carried by her at her execution um the block anything that touched her or touched her blood was comp- was immediately burnt because they didn't want to allow for any martyrdom or relic hunters um, how did people find out that that happened then that they burned them? No, that it. I mean, if they were burning evidence and they were trying to erase that story from history, how did it survive? See, because it wasn't that they were trying to erase the story. They were trying to erase the possibility of her legacy. So the execution is becomes widely known. Um, Elizabeth, when she hears the news, gets really angry and says that the Privy Council acted without her authority. And because she had vacillated for so long to actually sign the warrant and because she'd been so vague, it actually gave her plausible deniability. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in the end, we can only assume. Mary had requested in one of her final letters to be buried in France with the bodies of her French family because the bodies of her Scottish family, because of all the civil wars that had been taking place, had already been disinterred Mm -hmm. and she wanted to have her body be respected. Mm Mm-hmm. She was instead buried in a Protestant service at the Peterborough Cathedral. Her body ended up being exhumed in 1612. And this was when her son became, her son was King James VI of Scotland. He became King James I of England. And he interred her at Westminster Abbey in a chapel opposite that of Elizabeth I. And, um, which I think is really entertaining. Mm. And so... You know, one of her greatest legacies is that, you know, she did, in fact, through her claims to the throne, her son became the king of England and started the Stuart dynasty. Um, one thing I will say, you know, I think people love to say Mary was unable to cope. She was overly emotional, blah, blah, blah. 
But I think in the end, anyone who had gone through a life such as hers, who had experienced loss in the way she had and, and violence even and trauma, I think, you know, she, I think she did her best. <laughs> I think she just did her darndest. Mm. And so much of her legacy, like I said at the beginning, is left by her artwork that she left behind, her embroidery and her letter writings and her, you know, we see so much of her character through them. And one of the wall hangings done, I, I this is kind of my final thing I love about her, mm-hmm. is she has this one piece, and we'll, we'll bring a picture about of this. It, it's in the shape of a cruciform and a cross. And it says a cat, a space, C-A-T-T-E, but that's weird early modern English misspellings of things because they just had no standardized form of spelling. Mm-hmm. And then you see a redheaded cat and the cat has its paw on the mouse, on a, on a tail of a mouse who's trying to run away. And then Mary's little cipher is in the corner. So we know it was actually done by her. And most people take that to signify, you know, the ginger cat is famously, you know, Elizabeth the first had red hair and that Mary was the mouse who was trying to get away. So it's a really personal piece of almost comical embroidery about something that's altogether not that funny. Um, and I think the thing for me, the like kind of final bit about Mary is everyone has their own opinion of her. And I think that's definitely warranted. Um, it cannot be denied. She was an incredibly complex and interesting political leader who left behind quite a fascinating legacy Mm -hmm. (laughs) and controversial at that. I really recommend everyone try and read some of her letters. Agnes Strickland, who is this like ridiculous Victorian historian, um, compiled supposedly all of these letters together. Um, and I think they're really interesting. I actually like the way that they're compiled. Um, and I think it's actually a really lovely way to try and have an understanding of the firsthand account of this woman. Um, let's, we'll share that on the, on the Instagram. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll do. They've actually been digitized, thankfully. Ooh, very cool. Um, yeah. And you'll see that Agnes Strickland like hates Elizabeth and calls her this like wanton creature and marries this goodly perfect woman. Of course, I don't believe that about anyone, but, and Mary certainly had her faults and, and plottings, but wouldn't you, <laughs> you yes. were in prison for that many years <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and everyone abandoned you. Oh, absolutely. Wouldn't you? I would. I'd be like, yeah, get me out. <laughs> if you're the mouse? I know. Yeah. You're trying to get out of from under the cat's paw. I mean, that just makes sense. I know. We should definitely post that on the Instagram, too. It's amazing. I'm obsessed with it. I want to see it. Also, Mary had, like, a ridiculous collection of jewelry that, like, everyone should just look at because some of it still survives. Listen, if you want to see any of those super interesting things, check out Historically Badass Broads on Instagram. <laughs> Yes. That felt like a good time for a plug. Yeah. We're always looking for suggestions and comments and engagement, and we love to hear it. Please, you know, like and subscribe. Of course, of course, the classics. And we're so, so grateful for our listeners and for everyone who tunes in. Yeah. Thank you so much. We do appreciate it. We really do. I think we'll, we'll see them next time. Yeah. Yeah. 
or we'll, Happy we'll talk to you next time. Women's History Month. <laughs> Happy Women's History Month. Yes. Yay. Hooray. <laughs> Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.